Today on The Topping Show, Bud Light's founders grants and offers to buy back the company. Bud Light tweet manifesting energy falls flat as usual. Disney lost nearly $2 billion on the past 10 movies they produced. Disney Star Wars, well, they're closing down their hotel. Bud Light is spotted being drunk by Kid Rock. Elon Musk endorses Vivek Wabaswame in multiple tweets. Oliver Anthony continues to go viral. A mob steals $100,000 worth of merchandise from Nordstrom in Los Angeles. U.S. is planning a tax on food cans from overseas. Oakland wants citizens to use air horns to fight armed robbers. Uber and Lyft might live Minnesota if the law passes. Hillary Clinton is still election denying. Will she be investigated? Well, probably not. The IRS accidentally shoots a co-worker at the range as their armory grows exponentially. Aldi to buy Winn-Dixie. Twitter X to remove the blocking feature. Lamborghini reveals their first 100% EV. Ford Mustang GDT is revealed. Bucky's is hiring a snack tester for $1,000. YouTube is implementing new rules. Dehumidifiers are recalled for a fire hazard. And Trader Joe's has yet another recall, this time due to having metal in their crackers. All of that and much more on The Topping Show. Thank you everyone for taking the time to tune in today. Today's episode of Topping Show is sponsored by Topping Technologies. Topping Technologies is an IT value-added reseller and services company with a special proficiency in IT security. Heck, I see their founder at least twice a day. I have to say he's quite handsome and brilliant. He's me, that's the joke. If you're an IT leader or a business owner and need a little assistance, you can reach the team at sales at toppingtechnologies.com. Now, going over to the business part of the podcast, you have Aldi to buy Winn-Dixie and Harvey's Supermarket. Now, Aldi is perhaps one of the most well-known, respected supermarkets, and they actually started all the way back in 1946 by both Carl and Theo Albright. And now they're at a little bit over the 10,000 stores in 20 countries. Now, granted, I think most people know them not just because of low prices and great value, but the novelty of having the quarters that you have to put in in order to get a shopping cart, a fascinating, brilliant phenomenon and business idea in which instead of the usual you know, Walmart or Target parking lot, which is filled by lazy people who acquiesce to the most minimum modicum of effort to return their car back. That's, that's too much for some people. Aldi thought of a way to actually fix that issue. So if you want to get a cart at the Aldi's, you have to insert a quarter to unlock the cart that is attached to the other cart. So it's a chain of carts all connected together. And then at the end of your shopping, when you put the cart back and you connect it, it'll shoot out your quarter so you get your quarter back. Which is a fascinating idea because then they have to that helps them decrease in the cost of maintenance in terms of they don't have to have a cart boy out there going around and circling out the carts and gathering them from all the lazy SOBs who can't take 18 seconds to return their cart. A social cultural phenomenon, which is a good perhaps indicator for modern society. But nevertheless, that's one of the interesting, unique things about an Aldi shopping experience. They also have some great selections of food and usually lower price. And another weird, unique thing is you usually have to bring your own bags, which again, helps them keep prices lower because that's less cost that the business has to incur. So it's a very creative company and they have a great value. And it looks like they're buying about 400 Winn-Dixie and Harvey supermarkets across the Southeast United States in a deal with their parent company by the name of Southern or Southeastern Grocers. Now, most of the stores are going to be located in Alabama, Georgia, Louisiana, Mississippi, and they expect the deal to actually close towards the end over in 2024. And when asked for comment, the Aldi CEO, Jason Hart said, quote, the timing was right to build our community, our growth momentum and help residents in the Southeast save money on their grocery bills, unquote. Now, this is going to be a brilliant long-term business decision because we have 40-year hyperinflation in the United States. Thank your government, left and right. But 
everyone is starting to think, how could we save money? And one of the biggest things that Americans can control on average, I'd say, is your grocery bill. Most of the costs, when you look at uh, an average person's structure in life, a lot of them are fixed costs. And when I say fixed costs, they're usually a contract. Like let's say you rent an apartment, you have a 12 month lease. You can't really change your monthly apartment. Same with your internet, your like electricity, you could try to use a little bit less. And then you just add a lot of those costs. You have your insurance for your vehicle. That's not gonna change unless you do some extra trainings or change your vehicle type. Your car payment's not gonna change. So there's a lot of costs that are more difficult to control. So I always tell people when they wanna to try to reevaluate their finances, maybe try to put, put a little bit more money in the savings account, although that's useless these days because there is basically no incentive in the United States to save thanks to, well, basically zero interest rates that help you in the banks and also the government breakdown and taxation. But if you wanna invest, maybe start business or stocks, maybe you could change your food source. So instead of spending $200 for 12 groceries at Target, I kid, but not by much, you can just go to Aldi's or Walmart and your dollar will go further. That's quite literally the whole sh spiel of Walmart. They used to have whole commercials talking about how your dollar go further, which I think they should probably reinvigorate these days. So I think we're gonna see a lot of exponential growth with Aldi. And I think it's more prudent to invest more in the Southern United States. As you look at the migration pattern of where people are moving these days, a lot of people are relocating from Illinois, California, New York, other to going to other states such as Texas, Florida, as well as I know there's, a lot, there's also a lot of tech companies in the Carolinas as well, since there's a lower cost of living. There's a lot of opportunity down there. So really business decision, I'm sure it'll pay off for them. Now, other interesting business news, you have Twitter, also known as X, removing their blocking feature. Now, this is another fascinating thing. It's very fluid in terms of how you report on Twitter X because they're very much the antithesis of a traditional corporation like Hewlett Packard Enterprise, where I used to work. If they want to announce a new storage or a new compute node or a new switch or a new wireless access point, you'd have kind of a standard cookie cutter approach where you have press releases, you'd have maybe a physical release at an event and is very much, well, I want to say maybe calculated or very much really set in stone. But with Twitter, it changes on an hourly basis sometimes or X, whatever you want to call it. And this wasn't even a official announcement. Like Elon didn't go out of his way to say, hey, here's our new idea for this. He's actually responding to someone on Twitter. So it's pretty hard to keep track of all this, but thankfully, you know, certain things go viral and people catch on. So this is actually him responding to a Twitter handle by the name of Twi uh, Tesla owners Silicon Valley, which as it states is for Tesla owners over the Valley. Now, someone was asking him about, you know, the block feature and his response was quote, it makes no sense. And we might delete as a feature unquote. And then you just say, except for direct messages or DMS. So it'll be interesting to see a lot of people, Perhaps this will help cultivate further conversation, or maybe it'll encourage people to continue listening to their political or ideological adversaries online, or as opposed to before, they would just block them to stop the conversation. But then there are also issues with harassment, and you have to worry, you have to, like, litigiously as well, legally speaking, you have to worry about how those interactions pan out. So I'm one of those people where I'm much more support, more, I, I see the risk of less, I see there being a greater risk of having less free speech than more free speech. So I think so, this will be good. It'll be interesting to see how it plays out and if the people on Twitter like this new feature or if they hate it. Well, let me know. Do you think this would be a good idea to help uh, X or also known as Twitter? Still know how, still know how that marketing is going to go. Long term, it'll be interesting to see where they go from here. Other interesting business news, uh, uh, sad business news, I would say. Lamborghini officially reveals their first 100% EV 
vehicle. Ugh, I, I, I didn't throw up, but almost like an unpalatable taste in my mouth just saying it. And it's gonna—they call it—they're gonna call it the uh, Lanzador, which I guess does sound sound. It counts. It sounds Italian, so there's something there. But it is so sad. What used to be in a pinnacle of the tractor community, Richard Fiducio Lamborghini started his professional career. He's making bulletproof, reliable Lamborghinis. And of course, he bought a Ferrari, and Ferrari famously insulted him when he gave him critical feedback of how to fix their vehicles. And that, just for spite, partially, he started the company that is Lamborghini, making some of the most iconic, beautiful automotive machines in history, with some of the most best powertrains on the planet. Having 12 cylinders of displacement, a V12, and a stick shift, as God intended, with three pedals. You can't beat that experience. And then you have the V10, also great, great engine. Unfortunately, Lamborghini has precipitously dropped in quality in terms of my three cents. It used to be two cents, but now it's three cents, so hyperinflation is hurting everywhere. But there's a reason they just become more and more like computers. They, they recently, some of the recent releases were hybrids where they did have the V10, but they also had electronic bastardizations thrown in there because that's what you really want. Because Lamborghini is already known for reliability. They'll be great with computers. A computer that, again, by its very nature, computers do not last very long. Now, it's also interesting to see Lamborghini continue to lean into the EV trend when the most valuable Lamborghinis on the planet, they're the old ones that are stick shifts. The Lamborghini LP640 is a million dollar vehicle. You compare that same model with an E-gear, also known as an automatic transmission, also known as sleeping at the wheel, basically. It's a fraction. I think they're going for like 250K, which, don't get me wrong, that's a lot of money. But the most valuable Lamborghinis now, those are the ones that come with three pedals and a stick shift. And I know the comment section will immediately roast me saying, this is not as it's not as fast as a Tesla. If you have three pedals, manuals are slower. Yes, I know that. It's been that way for 30 plus years. But as I explained for the thousandth time, it's about the experience. There's a reason Porsche still has a stick shift. They're the only sports car company that still lists as consumers. And they know it's not all about having a gajillion horsepower or a zero to 60 stop. It's a zero to 60 time in less than two seconds. It's about downshifting in the corner on the track. It's about hearing that engine roar. But I partially digress. We'll get back to this sad Lamborghini story. Now, it looks like, they, again, they're appealing to the wrong things. They're saying, oh yeah, it's gonna have more than 1300 horsepower. Well, great. Is that, that really doesn't excite me. Because again, if you're on an EV vehicle, Tesla's done it. They were already the industry leader. Now, that being said, this has a, it has a good looking interior. So their designers, I give them credit, the design of the interior does feel very much like a Lamborghini. The exception of having nothing in the center console in terms of a stick, so I can actually shift the gears, but partially digress to get back to the story. Now, when asked for comments, Steven Winkleman, who's a Lamborghini CEO, he said that, quote, with the Lizandor, we are looking into our future without forgetting our DNA. The first coupes from Lamborghini will with their front engines were sporty, elegant, Gran Turismo suitable for everyday use as two by two seaters, unquote. Let me know in the comments, is this something Lamborghini owners really, or Lamborghini enthusiasts really want? Their SUV did pretty good. Of course, it didn't have an, it had an automatic transmission, which is pretty boring. If you want a fun SUV, you can get a Porsche with a stick shift made, I believe 2008 to 2012 era. Unfortunately, they subsequently killed it as well because why give, why, why excite consumers when you can give them Basically, sleeping pills on a wheel. I'm trying to think of a nice way of saying boring. Eh, it's not terrible. So it'll be interesting to see Lamborghini's going full into the EV. 
while other companies are fighting to the nail with governments trying to get exemptions from all these crazy regulations. Whether we're interested to see what happens to the automotive community, do the enthusiasts really gravitate towards this and really appreciate this? Are they going to really go out and buy these at the wazoo? Or will they only be bought by people with so much, such a so much money that they just have a garage of vehicles and they just buy it just because it is a Lamborghini? Well, at least the badges. So it'll be interesting to see where we go from here. Other interesting business news, you have Ford, the Mustang GD, GTD, revealed with uh, Matic. Pathetic. Now, it looks like there's a lot of articles talking about this new vehicle. The prices are estimated. Most articles are saying $300,000, while some are noting a price point of $400,000. That being said, that's MSRP. So by the time you get it, it'll be $600,000, $700,000, as Ford dealers have gotten one of the worst reputations for brand markups, including marking up a Ford F-150 Lightning from, I believe it was $95,000 to $213,000. That went viral. And of course, I think someone was dumb enough to pay for it, which you have to... Also blame the consumer a little bit if they're willing to pay that much money for a disposable vehicle. That's their problem. Now, it looks like this will have, th the good news is, it will have a 5.2 liter V8. So, it will have a soul. It will have something to excite you. Eight cylinders of perfection, albeit bastardized to an automatic transmission and a terrible marriage of bolting each other on. Oh, I almost shiver at the comment of the mere thought of that. Now, it looks like, after seeing a clay model of the, F1 or the Ford Mustang GT3 race car in the design studio, the Ford CEO, Jim Farley, he actually decided that the, you know, let's turn into a road car. And they have the desire of having that built for the Le Mans that went with the Mustang. And it'll be the 2025 Ford Mustang GT, GTD. Well, so it'll basically be a street legal version of Ford's upcoming race car for the, for the debate to debut at 24 hours of Daytona before heading to Le Mans. Now, for, I, I, and I, I'll try not to laugh. We, we shall see. Jim Farley continued to say, quote, it's for AMG Black, Aston Martin, Porsche, GT3 RS. We want to beat the GT3 RS at Le Mans, but we also want to beat it as a streetcar, unquote. Which, again, I, I do appreciate the racing heritage and then building a race car for the street, in terms of business, that is one of the best things an automotive company can do. You think of some of the most iconic vehicles, not just for the initial sales, but the cult following that builds loyalty to the brand. That's a great way to do it. It used to be a cliche, you know, race on Sunday, sell on Monday. It used to be a very popular marketing mechanism in the automotive community. Now, I think perhaps one of the best examples would be Pethy and McLaren F1, which many people speculate they consider the pinnacle of automotive history You've got a, a V12, 12 cylinders of perfection with a stick shift and no computers, hardly. There's a little modem connect back to the factory in the UK so you can communicate, which at the time was revolutionary, but it's a very much a rare instance of a beautiful perfection, some might say. Now, I'll admit, I'm a bit of a Porsche fan, but GT3 RS, one of those things where I, I do strive to get a sports car one of these days. I do love my Honda, and it does have, you know, three pedals, so it does have a little bit of soul to it. And I'm looking online. It looks like the GT3 RS does have the option for a stick shift. So, again, I know they're going for lap times. If for lap times, it's all about that those numbers, so they're going to use an automatic. I understand that. Calm down in the comment section. But not just have the option. It wouldn't, Again, I'm not a mechanical engineer, but I can only... I would, I would be... I think it's safe to say... 
the cost of research and development wouldn't be that much burdensome, and as well as production, to have the option for a stick shift. And again, you might not sell it at the same ratio in terms of it might not be a 50-50 split, it might be 10 to 20% of sales, but it would excite the automotive community. And half the comments when you're looking at all the Jalopniks, all the car and track, when they're talking about this vehicle, I would say about 20, 30 to 50% of the comments are bringing up the fact that it's like automatic transmission. You see, you saw the same thing with the Nissan 400Z Nismo, which is supposed to be their track version. It's got better suspension, better stickers. I kid, there's other stuff too, but also automatic transmission. So they're letting down fans with this and they're trying to compete with Aston Martin, which and Porsche and AMG, which that, that's Mercedes. But it's one of those things where I feel like if, and again, they got time before this actually starts production. If they just, just add the stick shift, you get so much more brand loyalty and enthusiasts for the community. Because they, again, they'd be, you would capture all the people who want the vehicle, not just the people who will only buy stick shifts like myself, but you'll get the, the average Joe Schmo who just want the automatic for the fastest, fastest, fastest zero to 60 time and lap time. But you'll also capture the pure enthusiast who want the experience. Which these days, that's one of the most important things with automotives. Darn heck with anything in life. The whole experience is what you're selling. So let me know in the comments, would you, how much, how much do you think the sales would go up with this vehicle if they had a stick shift? Will it increase sales by 10%, 20%, 30% or more? It'll be interesting to see what Ford does from here, but unfortunately I think this particular model is only gonna be auto only, which is, is a sad thing. But I partially digress for now. Other interesting business use, you have Bucky's hiring a snack tester for $1,000. Now, Bucky's is one of the fastest growing fast food convenience chain, uh, companies in the United States, headquartered in the best state, Texas. They're best known for having like 170 pumps for vehicles. And then of course they have their convenience store, which rare enough as a gas company or a convenience store, it's clean. And there's a very small percentage of getting stabbed as opposed to you go to Shell. And there's not a 0% chance you're gonna get stabbed at a Shell gas station. There is a guarantee that it's gonna be about a quarter inch on all the bottled drinks at a Shell gas station and questionable stains on the floor. But with Bucky's, a big sale of them is clean bathrooms. And they have some funny, fascinating marketing techniques with little signs on the road saying you could hold it. You know, emphasizing, you know, they got clean gas, they got clean restrooms, clean facilities, and they're growing exponentially. The market is rewarding them. Now, they also have a lot of their own in-house brand products that they make. You see this with everything from Walmart to Target. They make, they'll sell you the Levi jeans or whatever, but they'll also sell you their own brand jeans or their own food. So Bucky's has the same thing where they actually make a lot of the treats as well as the traditional brands that you know, like Pepsi, Jack Lane's Beef Jerky. They have their own brands as well. So this is a position where they're going to pay $1,000 to test their food. Now, it'll be interesting to see you know, how many hmm, how many people really want this. I, I think it'd be a fun, probably a fun gig if you're a high school kid or something like that. But it looks like they're not, they're not just going to pay you $1,000 to do this. They're going to give you 250 bucks to actually go cover the cost of buying the food itself. Which is good because obviously they want to make sure there's as little conflict of interest as possible. So they, they're not going to have this person probably show up in a... They want a third party. They don't want an employee to do this. They want to have a third party person. They're going to go into most likely a random Bucky station and presumably use, oh yeah, they'd use their own credit card or payment method. And that way the employees don't have a big red flag go, why is there a corporate car from Bucky? So it makes sense they want to have third party participate in this. And they said that you're going to get to enjoy such treats, including Bucky's Beaver Nuggets, Hippo Tacos, 
They sound hippo tacos. They that sounds like a big deal. Pun moderately intended. You got Bucky's Lemonade Crisp, homemade fudge, and Bucky's gummy bears. They actually want you to take test twenty-five items, but those are the ones that sound interestingly enough. So it'll be interesting to see. A fun little job if you guys want to taste some food and actually go to a clean gas station. It's a rare thing in and of itself. And good marketing because it's got a lot of people are talking about it. news outlets are picking up the story. It's, it's actually a good example of free publicity because they're not paying to have those ads run or anywhere like that. So perhaps as a business brilliance of the day, that might be a new chapter we have to, or a new um, little mark we have to make. I don't know what you think. That might be a good idea. Other interesting business news, you have YouTube enacting new rules and more aggressive ad blocker disables. Now, it looks like one of the rules is in reference to the YouTube Shorts, which they introduced in 2021 to attempt to compete with TikTok, the exponentially growing Chinese app company where it's known for having short little clips, usually degrading your brain cells, promoting unhealthy mental, mental illnesses, and pretty much being a big time sink and not any value of your life, but people are addicted to it, so they keep logging onto that damn thing. And of course, Google YouTube is concerned because it's eating up market share, it's eating up screen time. And every second that someone's eyeballs are glued onto that app and they're not wasting their life at the other app, although great content like this is free, so click that, click that subscribe button, definitely you want to keep your eyeballs on the screen for this show because it's awesome. But they're paid by advertisers by what's the eye, what's the dwell time? How long are their eyes on that product? How long are their eyes looking at their phone screen? And if they're on another app, that's decreasing their market share. So it looks like they're trying to, they claim they're trying to combat, mm, they say they're trying to combat spam, but there's more, a lot of speculation in the YouTube community that they're just trying to crack down on you leaving the site. Now, one thing they're trying to do is removing links from YouTube shorts, which is detrimental if you have sponsored shorts. So you, it's one of those eras where the creators are making less and less on YouTube. I'm slowly building up the channel. We'll get to the monetization someday. But in addition to that revenue going down, some YouTube creators, it's very common to have another sponsor where they give a shout out and that sponsor will pay them as well. So that way, even though the YouTube is paying them less, their overall income can stay the same or hopefully grow with other partners. And traditionally you just put, let's say they're pitching, I don't know, let's say uh, Top Technologies. We, have actually, we actually do have a promo right now. We're giving away a free flamethrower with every August purchase. And you can mount it to an AR-15. Why are we doing that? Well, it's fun and it'll drum up business. Granted, there's some stipulations that go to timetechnologies.com. You'll see it has to be a certain purchase amount and you have to have a state that allows it. But let's say I want to do that specifically for a short. Well, I would put the link to our website description or the website page into the short. And people presumably click on that and go to the website they say, hey, this is awesome. I want to buy some IT services or gear from you guys so you can get free flamethrower. Why not? And that would help the channel. So they're getting rid of that because you are leaving the platform with that link. Now, they claim it's because there's a lot of spam in those links, which I can't imagine that being... Let me know if you see if that's an issue. I've never seen that issue before because, again, unless the person themselves are a scam or a scam artist, I don't know how you would... Maybe they would hack someone's account to put in a malicious URL in there. But at the end of the day, I think they're doing it or they're cracking down on that because you're moving away from the site. And there's also a couple other interesting things they've been doing as well. Now, it looks like starting August 10, so a couple days ago, they claim that clickable social media icons from the desktop channel banners will no longer show 
Additionally, starting August 31st, sorry, around the corner, links in shorts, comments, descriptions, and links in the vertical live feed will no longer be clickable. So they want to take it off the desktop channel banner. And again, there's it's all about controlling the content or more accurately controlling your experience so you do not leave YouTube. Because a lot of creators, they'll actually put it in the banner on the top of their homepage. They'll say, hey, we also stream on Rumble. And they'll actually give a descript or a URL so you can easily click that link to go to there because there's less censorship on Rumble. And it's something we're, we'll be posting the show there as well shortly. And Again, they, they say it's to protect the consumers, but has this ever been an issue for you as a consumer? Has anyone had a negative experience with YouTube because of those links being there? Now, it'll be interesting to see. They also say that to promote creators with alternative options to showcase their important links, YouTube Shorts will add a, quote, prominent clickable links on channel pages. Those will be available for creators beginning August 23rd. Viewers on mobile and desktop should start seeing prominent links on the creator's channel profiles near the subscribe button. But again, I don't know how that's just... It's one of those things where it's... It seems... They want you to go back to the channel page. It feels like they're making it a more awkward, cumbersome experience as well. Now, this is all as they're actually increasing the price of YouTube Premium, which they're pushing very hard. Price recently went up from $11.99 to $13.99 per month. And now, interestingly enough as well, YouTube's doing pretty good. For the first time in many fiscal quarters, their sales from ad revenue went up by 4.4%. Now, on average, pre previously, they're actually going down by 2% quarter over quarter, which is detrimental, of course, because yes, right now YouTube is profitable for Google, but after a certain amount of time, they gotta be concerned of, well, if this part of the business is losing money, we're gonna have to use funds from over here to offset those losses. And again, they have big competition with TikTok. That is growing exponentially, and that basically has government funding behind it because it's headquartered over in China, and the government's part of everything over there. The joke in IT is they only have firewalls between the company and the and the actual government. It's just a direct line, which, I'm trying to think of a, fan, a rudimentary way of speaking, is basically they have no Brita filter between the faucet and your cup. It's just a straight line. There's nothing to filter it, nothing to stop anything. It's straight access. But that's fair enough accurate, I think, description of the situation. So it'll be interesting to see. And now, in regard to the ad blocker, they say that they're they started one in June, earlier over the summer, and if they detected an ad blocker technology, they'd actually come out on the screen and they would say, hey, we have a three-strike policy. You can, add, you can watch three videos and then we're gonna lock you out until you disable the ad blocker. And now if they detect it, they're gonna actually give you a 30 to 60, 30 to 60 second countdown before they stop you from accessing it. So YouTube, it, they, they seem to be increasing their sales, but a lot of these tech companies, they're taking drastic steps to try to increase profitability which does make sense. We have, you know, 40 year hyperinflation, uncertain, the economy is so uncertain, no one knows what's gonna happen. A lot of speculation on who's gonna get in office, in the United States especially, depending on who's politically in charge. There's many, many mechanisms that change in charge of not just income of personal people, but also laws, regulations around businesses that affect profitability. So the worst thing that could ever, pretty much the worst thing for business is uncertainty. When you don't know what the market's gonna do, the interest rates are gonna do, what the government's gonna do, a lot of businesses kind of stall out as they wait to see what's going to happen because they don't know. They might need those extra rainy day funds or the extra profits to actually hold out against the hard times, which are ironically, well, not ironically, well, maybe, they're caused many times by the government themselves. So it'll be interesting to see, but YouTube continues to become seemingly more and more restrictive. How many, it'll be interesting to see, let me know 
how, how much more rules and stipulations will it take for people to leave the platform? I did a poll on LinkedIn and actually asked people, you know, YouTube used to have zero ads, then they had one, now they have two. How many ads would it take for you to leave the platform? I asked, you know, the options were three ads, four ads, five ads, other, and then the fourth was uh, other just comment, which lazy people just do to click that so they can see the results. Now, without commenting, lame. Now, a majority of the people said three commercials. And given the trends of YouTube, I can't help but think that's right around the corner. Because again, they want to keep this ad revenue increasing. One way to do it, introduce more commercials. But let me know, would, would three ads per video be enough for you to drop the YouTube experience and go over to Rumble? Or Cloud, or uh, BitChute or Odyssey? Let me know in the comments, it'll be interesting to see time. As I always say, shall tell. Now, going over to the culture part of the podcast, you have Bud Light. Well, it looks like the great grand, the grandsons of the founder, he's uh, making an offer to buy the company back. Now, it looks like it's actually the heir. So, Billy Bush, his fa- his grandfather actually founded the company Anheuser Busch all those years ago, before the Anheuser Busch was sold to InBev. So, it used to be an independent American company. They sold out to Belgian-based InBev, I N B E V, back in 2008. So now Billy Bush is saying he wants to, you know, buy it back in order to basically save the brand that's basically a shell of what it used to be. After April 1st, 2023, well, this year, where they brilliantly chose to partner with someone who their average audience for Dylan Mulvaney is someone who's in their teens, so they can't buy the beer, and they chose someone who's a political figure, as the trans debate has become a, a political thing. And they brilliantly, or I should say, I, that's obviously, uh, sarg- that's sarcasm, folks. They pissed off people on the left, the right, and the center. Because Bud Light did not, quote unquote, stick with Dylan. People on the left side of the political aisle, they thought, they felt betrayed. So there's a famous, well, I say famous, there's an article a couple weeks ago about a gay bar holding company in Chicago. There's many of them there. And they said of the, all the bars they control, they're completely killing all the Bud Light products. They won't carry them anymore. And that particular company owned four bars. And they said, specifically because Anheuser Bush and Bev did not stick with Dylan. You also have bars, restaurants, people on the right side of the political aisle who didn't appreciate that political en- that endorsement, so they dropped the project as well. And then people in the middle wondering, oh, do I really want to have a conversation? Or do I really want to have someone ask me, why did I buy a Bud Light? Do I think it's okay to sell beer to kids or to advertise to kids? Do I really want to have that conversation? Do I really want to support that company? And many people have chosen, no, I will not. So they lost $400 million in sales compared to the same fiscal quarter last year. So it's a direct result of the boycott. The boycott is certainly working. Now, many people feel the brand is no longer authentic because again, it's, not, it's no longer owned by the company, by the founders, no longer owned by the family. It's owned by a foreign entity across the globe with obviously a different set of morals and values. So Billy Bush is saying, hey, I mean, I'd love to buy it back. And he actually sat down with the interview and when asked for comment, he actually made a, he was speaking with Tommy Lauren on her show called Fearless. And he said he wanted to buy back the brand in order to quote unquote, make that brand great again, unquote. Which, if he didn't have a Trump hat on, that would have been hilarious. That's a, that's a lost marketing. I know that you shouldn't be political because obviously this would have gotten in trouble in the first place. I would argue the average person who drinks Bud Light is probably more politically aligned to supporting Donald Trump. But to make that brand, brand great again is so close to his campaign strategy. That's just, I don't know if that's funny or just, it can't be a coincidence, but it's moderately entertaining that he said that. And it looks like Lauren said, this is talking to Billy Bush, 
Quote, when it comes to marketing and saying moving away from a fratty hat base, is that InBev in general or is it just one person? It doesn't seem like they've cleaned house or got rid of the people who think that way and they really don't like their customers, unquote. And Billy Bush said, quote, well, that goes against being inclusive to get away from that fratty drinker, right? So that's a big mistake, unquote. Now, Billy went on to say that InBev, oh, made the marketing block, uh, when they made that marketing blunder built with um, Dylan Mulvaney, they did not understand, quote, who their core drinker is, unquote, which, yeah, obviously, yes, I think, I think everyone could agree with that analysis. And he was asking them, you know, who do you think would, you know, what were your, what were your parents think about this? His dad and his grandfather started the company. And he said, quote, they knew who their drinkers were. They were with the bar owners and the restaurant owners and the liquor store owners talking to these people day in and day out. Even my dad at 89 years old and 90 years old, he was still going to the bars and selling Budweiser back in those days in the 80s, unquote. He says, I urge the, or another quote, I urge the company InBev, if they don't want the brand any longer, sell it back to the Bush family, sell it to me. I'll be the first in line to buy the brand back from you and we'll make your brand great again, unquote. Which is one of those things where that, I'm trying, because I'm trying to think, how does Bud Light turn this ship around? Realistically, if you want to salvage that specific brand, I can't help but think that's most likely the best odds of success. Because a lot of people have disdained towards the brand, not only because of the business blunder of partnering with Dylan Mulvaney, but it just doesn't feel authentic anymore. It's not family-owned, it's not American-owned, it's owned by a company over in Belgium, which they I guess they don't just make great waffles and rifles, they also make beer. But... If you really want to regain that authenticity, I think that'd be the only way to do it. Now, I don't know if InBev would be willing to do that because they do make so much money from it, even though their sales have dropped between 27 and 30% week over week, depending on which statistic we, each, we, each week that you're looking at, that's still, they're still making money. Is it profitable? That's, that's what we're going to see long term. But let me know in the comments, would that fix your perception of Bud Light? Would you be willing to buy Bud Light if they sold it back to the family? I, my three cents, and again, it used to be two cents, but 40 year hype inflation should be four cents, but only three cents, but it is free to click the subscribe button. Goal is to get to 3000 by the end of August. I greatly appreciate your support. But my three cents is if you, if they completely divested Budweiser and Bud Light back to the family, and of course uh, the Bush, uh, the couple other brands, and you had no connection with the parent, with uh, InBev anymore, and they also fired more people in marketing. I know recently they did lay off between 300 and I think it's 390 or 400 employees, mostly in marketing. But I think a couple of those business moves would change the brand perception enough to reverse the trend of them just hemorrhaging sales. I think that's the only conceivable. And again, I don't know. If, I don't know what the brand is worth right now. That's something to debate as well. But I don't know if Billy has enough money personally, or again, he'd have to take out funds. But then if he has to take on some friends or he has to have some help from venture capital, then you have the same issue where a lot of people right now in the U.S. are boycotting companies partially because they're owned by BlackRock, Vanguard Group, where you have those companies that are pushing political initiatives and ESG scores. So if he has to rely on those funds, that'd be another issue. Now, call me crazy, but it's just off the, off the cuff, so to say. Why not team up with Elon Musk? Elon Musk has many resources and presumably he might not own a beer company. That would further diversify his portfolio, having 
you know, electric cars, solar panels, a boring company. I mean, not pejoratively, but literally they have a machine that bores tunnels. But you would also have SpaceX. You'd also have Starlink. You'd also have, what was it? Yeah, X Twitter. Why not have a beer company? That, not, a, not a terrible idea. Let me know in the comments. Would that be enough for you to buy Bud Light again? Time shall tell. Other interesting culture news you have. Bud Light tweeting yet again. It's like a gopher poking its head back up, looking over to see if it's safe. And no, it's it's not safe because, again, they've insulted their core customers so much and they never addressed the problem. So I doubt the boycott or the tweets will ever stop. Or more accurately, the responding tweets that ratio them in seconds. Now, this tweet, it was literally a Bud Light and there, it, um, it said... Manifest, manifesting this energy. And it was literally just a guy holding two beers. Wait, I need to do a fact check. I don't think his fingers melted from having contact with the hazardous materials. And for his safety, he did not drink the beer in the actual commercial or this little little photo advertisement. I mean that partially kidding. It actually is a fascinating industry trend in the alcohol community where they don't drink in the commercials. I've noticed this with not just Bud Light, but all the brands. It's an unspoken norm in the community because they're scared to death of being over overregulated with like the tobacco industry. Where the tobacco industry was hit so heavily with regulation, they, they're not allowed to have any advertisement on your TV. They can barely advertise these days, which again, having a product that relies so heavily on brand loyalty in, in a subject where, or in a category where many people see as a commodity, beer and cigarettes, Presumably most of them taste the same, but it's brand loyalty. You need to have an advertising mechanism to keep those sales up or even better, increase the sales. So it looks like manifesting energy. So it's, oh, wow, this this person actually might have more talent than the CEO of Bud Light. This person is actually holding two beers with one hand. That is amazing. So it's the first time they tweeted in about seven days. And of course it was just ratioed in seconds. And I mean, very entertaining to see how quickly they failed. So these statistics were all taken within the first 12 hours of the tweet. And for the original one from Bud Light, they had 55,000 views and drum roll please, 305 likes. Not even the people working at Bud Light are liking this, presumably because they have thousands of employees. That gives us a like ratio of 0.55%, which dear God, that's terrible. Now, one of the top responses was a gentleman saying, I'm manifesting this right now. And it was a pejorative comic of a man, two men, one dressed up as uh, Bud Light, one as a Coors Light or Miller Light, a competitor. And it had the, um, the one beer company going down and pleasuring the Bud Light can. Now that got 619 views. So apparently speaking, much, much fewer views, but it got 21 likes. So that's a 3.69% like ratio. Much better than 0.55. Now, another response was actually someone just doing a picture showing them the scales of all the decreased sales of the Anheuser-Busch InBev products. So we showed you this, this chart of every month. Here's the percentage of sales decrease from Bud Light, Budweiser, Michelob Ultra, and all many of the brands that they own. That got 3,093 views and 92 likes. So that's 2.97% likes. And... Also important to note, dozens of people picked, posting pictures of Yangling beer. 
a great competitor that is still family owned, the oldest brewery in the United States. Now, I'm a, a little remiss to say, a little disappointed to say they're not headquartered in the best state of Texas, but they are headquartered nevertheless in the United States. Still family owned for the generations and they're growing exponentially. And this is the, this is the kind of advertising money can't buy. Now, unlike Bud Light, Anheuser, um, Yaling isn't paying these people to say this. They're just fans. And anecdotally speaking, I bought Yaling for the first time ever because of this. And I noticed they were popping up in Texas stores. Previously, you want back the clock a couple years back, I never noticed them in the aisle. Granted, I'm not much of a beer drinker. I usually prefer spirits on the occasion calls for it. But culturally speaking, you're seeing a huge increase in sales of Yaling, usually on average between 20 and 30% week over week compared to the same weeks last year. That's really good. And of course, there are a couple, interestingly enough, I guess it's not Photoshop, but every time, so there's someone who will say something like, oh yeah, I'm ready for a Bud Light, or I'm excited, which I don't know anyone who's ever legitimately said, I'm excited to have a Bud Light. Like you get it for free at a party in college. That's the origin of Bud Light. But I can't help but see every time there's someone who has a positive response to the Bud Light tweets, they're someone who exclusively reposts for businesses. Last week, there were two people who said, oh yeah, I'm excited for my Bud Light, which again, I don't think it's ever been said in the English language, but I looked at their profiles on, on um, Twitter, now X, and they, all they did was repost for a handle by the name of Millionaires. So they didn't have any original thoughts or opinions, they just tweeted. Now, if you do want some moderately interesting thoughts and opinions, you can follow me on the Twitter X. I'm at N-I-C-T-O-P-P-I-N-G. As of today, it's a cool picture of a guy with an AR-15 mounted flamethrower, which again, you can get if you shop with Topping Technologies. So it'll be interesting to see. Yeah, they're just all negative. And yeah, a lot of them are saying, oh yeah, you're too fratty. There's actually one with an arrow just pointing to a Budweiser can with the Harley logo on it that just says woke. And that got nine nine hearts or nine likes and 1,348 views. So it'll be interesting to see. They're trying to tweet. They're trying to, to, to use social media to their advantage, but it, it really isn't. They're, they're not changing the public perception of the brand, not increasing sales with these tweets. I, I can't help but think someone's just... Maybe there's just a marketing intern where that's just their job and they just do it. Like, let me know, has Bud Light tweeting changed your perception at, by one iota since the boycott started? Has it done any good? Like, how many, I, I would venture to say no. If anything, it's provided moderately interesting entertainment, but that's usually because their tweets are so bad. It's not making me like the brand. So I would say no, it's not helping. Let me know in the comments, do you think that's, helping their sales at all, or your, the perception of them? I'd venture to say no, but time shall tell. Now, other interesting culture news, you have Walt Disney, they looks like they lost about $2 billion on the past 10 films that they released. I, I can't fathom losing so much money and being so bad at your job, still having the same leadership. That's insane. So they haven't made a profit in the past 10 movies they made. Now, there are a myriad of reasons for this, not just because they're political garbage. They don't teach morals and values like they used to darn near 100 years ago when they actually had good writers, which 
again, nowadays, most writers are already computers. They're crying now trying to get more royalties. But a modern Disney writer is no better than a copy-paste keyboard function. Because again, everything they make is just a copy of a copy of a copy. Fun little experiment on the uh, photocopier at home. Take a copy of a copy of a copy. You'll notice that every time you take a copy of a copy, say that 12 times in a row, the image actually degrades. It gets worse. The perfect metaphor for Walt Disney these days. And they're just making bad business decision after bad business decision. It looks like the Indiana Jones film is estimated to lose $100 million. Now, part of the reason, not just because it's political garbage and indoctrination of children, but they're too expensive. Gone are the days when you could spend $500 million, $600 million, $700 million making a movie and hope to make a profit. Like a Marvel movie, they have to pay the, well, I was going to say they pay those computers a lot. The computing power that they need to actually purchase and facilitate to create those is huge. You're talking enormous amount of IT infrastructure. And then you have hundreds of man hours creating that digital crap. Now, granted, the writing is so easy, you shouldn't have to pay writers at all. You just have explosion, big hero says something, and no one actually really dies. I just described 98% of all Marvel films. But the cost is just too much. And they're making all these terrible decisions. So they actually spent 100, specifically, they spent $105.9 million making a streaming series called Willow, which I can't help but think they spent $0 on marketing because I never heard of it before. Now, it looks like they dropped it after one season. So after six months and spending $105.9 million, they decided to just pull the plug because they weren't making any money on it. If it was profitable, presumably they would have kept up the series. They would have renewed everyone's contracts. But they decided, no, we, we can't do that either. And this is further speculating. The and There's a lot of people that are further speculating that they are going to... Well, they're going to make a run at maybe selling it to Apple. They clearly can't make any movies on their own. They're losing money with everything. So there's a lot of speculation. They're going to sell their press or media company. So, you know, Disney Plus, the movies, the films, sell that to Apple. And then they can just focus on their parks. That, that rumor is getting stronger and stronger. And Bob Iger, the current CEO of the company, is only fueled speculation when a couple weeks ago he actually said, well, it might make sense to divest the legacy television channels, which... Yeah, obviously. Get rid of that crap. Is they're, they're estimated between that if they sold all their legacy media, legacy being media being like ABC, they also have the Disney Channel. I believe they also they have FX. They estimate that's worth about eight billion. I'd sell that right now. Get it off the books. Get rid of it. Focus on something else. Especially because again, every day it seems like more people more people are cutting the cord. They don't want cable. A lot of places, like you go to some apartments, they don't even have that option. It's only internet. Now, you can also argue the allure of streaming services have decreased because now it's more expensive than cable. But if you look at the adoption rate from the consumers, that's where the trends are going. And I don't see that changing anytime soon. Do you? I, I wouldn't think so. So it'll be interesting to see. They've lost about $2 billion in movies. Will they, will they make movies without politics now, finally? I, I would say no, because all, most employees there are not employees, they're activists. It's even been shown that they actually have little Marxist journals where they actually tell their employees to write down all the politically left or woke things that they do for their DEI scores, and you're getting a bonus based on how much stuff you do. Now, granted, if you have the opposite, you have a book on saying, hey, uh, Bobby, we need you to write down every time you pray, every time you go to church. There would be lawsuits at the wazoo. People would be protesting, like, no, tomorrow. But in this case, of course, it's, you know, California-based company. A lot of people working there like it. 
So we got like one article and a couple of people on YouTube covering it. No major story or major lawsuits yet. Not too surprised. But at least temporarily, I digress. Other interesting business news, you have Disney shutting down their Star Wars hotel. Now, it looks like these morons, I mean, brilliant business executives, um, Bob Chapek and Bob Iger, they spent $240 million on a Star Wars themed hotel. Just uh, before anything else is taken into account, that you, have to, you have to have special employee training so they could sell the crap. You have to have employee training so they could tour the special hotel. Just to make the damn building is $250 million. Does that sound like a good idea? But just with that number, how could it make money? Like, how can you make a profit off of that? You would have to have unpressed. And I know Star Trek is a huge thing and all the nerds, they just, it's a cult for them. Calm down. I know I said Star Trek. It's Star Wars. It's got stars and drama. I know that. But you'd have to sell so many tickets. And considering they only had 100 rooms. So this was not going to be a volume sale like a Walmart or McDonald's where they make their living by selling many units at a lower price point. This they would have to sell for many thousands of dollars. I remember at one time they had a original charging of $4,800 for a two-person cabin mission. And including mission with characters. And... And I believe it was required for a two-night stay. So it was about $10,000 for a weekend getaway at a Star Wars-themed hotel. I I can't think of a worst... Uh, actually, the only worst use of money would be investing in a Disney film because they would guarantee you to lose money. This perhaps, this perhaps had a 1% chance of success. But that comes out to... That means they lost $2.5 million per room about... That's how, perhaps there's just the unprecedented level of hubris. They just thought they can do no wrong. They're Disney. They print money. They used to. Back when Disney was apolitical, they had no politics. Back when they actually had morals and values. I know words that elude most Americans these days. Unfortunately, they basically printed money. Because again, they were capturing the whole market share. People on the left, people on the right, people on the middle. They all consumed and they enjoyed the product. They enjoyed the experiences that was Disney. They have made a cognitive decision to alienate about 50% of the United States population on average. Of course your sales are going to go down. Of course. Not only from people on the right, but I think there's a lot of people in the middle where they don't want sexual themes being injected into children movies. Which, again, used to be not a controversial thing to say, but has somehow become controversial to say now. Which is ridiculous and kind of says to how far perhaps the United States has declined, culturally speaking. But... I'm not surprised at all that it shut down this hotel. I reported on this months ago talking about the initial price points of these rooms. Because again, I know experiences are what sell these days. It's not just a product, it's experience. But what's the average income of someone who worships Star Wars? Are they millionaires? I'd venture to say billionaires and millionaires don't get indoctrinated into cults like Star Wars. I mean, cultures that are Star Wars. But I, I can't imagine spending that much money. That's a vehicle on... Staying at a Disney Star Wars hotel. Ridiculous. And of course they have lightsabers for $700 or more. So you could, they would upsell you with all the little accessories you'd buy for a tool belt or whatever they sell. But yeah, I think the golden age of Disney is long gone. 
they're in consolidation mode. They need to start cutting assets that are, or I guess these are more liabilities than assets, fiscally speaking. They need to cut, trim the fat from the company because they're going through some hard times. And given the people who work there and the culture they've built, it's not going to get better anytime soon. Now, other interesting culture news, you have a Bud Light being drank by Kid Rock over in a, I believe it's a concert at a Colt Ford show, a Colt Ford show in Tennessee, which perhaps is hypocrisy at its finest. I mean, one of the first famous people to boycott Bud Light after Bud Light brilliantly chose Dill Mulvaney as a brand ambassador, where again, Dill Mulvaney, the average user age, Dill is very popular on the TikTok, I think 14 to 15 million followers or something like that. The average user on TikTok is about 15 years old. And the biggest demographic on TikTok in terms of the age groups is that teens. That's the biggest percentage on the platform. And Bud Light thought, hey, let's give uh, let's give Dylan a drink, who's again a biological man who is celebrating the 365 days of being a woman. Let's give this individual a beer with their face on it, which, I mean, just visually is not pleasant at all. But they decided to do that and alienate millions and probably millions of customers, destroy about $28 billion of their stock valuation, $400 million in sales have been lost, fiscal Q compared to last year, this year. And one of the first people to voice their objections was Kid Rock. And it was a very entertaining video he made and it went viral. It was one of the first pushbacks that started the boycott. He seemed very authentic and let's play him really quick. So this is the original boycott. We have Kid Rock who I guess Press false advertising. I do not see any rocks in this, and he is no longer a kid. He says he's a grandfather. False advertising, I believe. <laughs> Grandpa's feeling a little frisky today. That's scary. Let me uh, say something to all of you and be as clear and concise as possible. <laughs> so I'll pause it really quick. A good way to see if someone's uneducated in terms of the Bill of Rights of the Constitution, a lot of comments were saying, oh, he's using a full Audi R15. No, he's using a German-made MP5. How culturally vacuous are them? They don't even know anything about the German culture. The MP5, very, perhaps the most famous 9mm submachine gun, but I digress. So he's shooting up the cases of Bud Light, which is much safer than drinking them. Fuck Bud Light and fuck Anheuser. Have a terrific day. So F Bud Light and F Anheuser-Busch. He seems, you can't get more articulate than that. He's saying, I don't like the company. I don't like that brand of the company. And presumably he was one of those, I mean, that got 23.7 million views and 156,000 likes in in the first 19, or um, no, sorry, that particular one got two point, what was it? Two point million views? But the people who followed him liked it. Now, interestingly enough, it looks like he never dropped Bud Light from his bar, which he does own a bar, I believe, in Nashville, Tennessee. So some people started to question how authentic is he in his belief. And then now at, a st- uh, over at the Sky Deck over in Nashville, Tennessee for this concert, people saw him holding a Bud Light and drinking it, which how, how mentally vacuous was he to do that? How, how dumb was that? You know you're famous. You know everyone is always have they always have a camera on you. That's I presume that's why some people want to become famous so they have no privacy. Weirdly enough, but you know wherever you go, there are going to be paparazzi or nowadays 
anyone with a smartphone. Smartphones have gotten so good, you can zoom in from seemingly a mile away and get pretty good detail. So someone captured that moment where he's holding a Bud Light. And even if he got it for free, so he wasn't directly supporting the company by paying for it, it's still, many people are gonna see it as him inadvertently making a decision or cognitively supporting the brand now. And again, he was so angry at the brand just a couple months ago. So a lot of people are speculating, well, maybe he just got it for free. Well, so what? Even if he got it for free, that doesn't excuse what he did. Again, in terms of my personal opinion, there's nothing I disdain more than people who are two-faced charlatans, left and the right. I do respect someone, even if I don't respect your specific opinion, if you hold that opinion dear and you're you have an educated opinion, I'll, I do hold respect for you because that's known as standing with your convictions. Being a man of, there's very few people that actually have those these days. So I can't help but respect some of those folks, left, right, center, wherever they are. And he clearly lost all authenticity with this act because he was spearheading, he was the, one of the first people to boycott it. And now he's just drinking it at a concert. Why not? Again, why not have, you're in Tennessee, why not have a whiskey? Of all, um, ridiculous. But perhaps he was not authentic the whole time. Let me know in the comments, do you think he, he was just pretending to be pissed off in the beginning, just trying to get more viral fame? Or do you think it was a, he just made a mistake with the, he accidentally accepted it, he wasn't even thinking. Perhaps he was so inebriated by alcohol, he couldn't tell the difference between a Bud Light can or a Cool's Right can, or he just, he didn't know what it was. Perhaps. I, although I venture to say, yeah, pro probably not. Let me know in the comments. I'd be interested to see. But as I say, time shall tell. Now, other interesting culture news, you have Elon Musk praising Vivek Ramaswamy, who has become one of the best Republican candidates, though still a big gap behind Trump in terms of the preliminary polling. A lot of people are fighting to the nail to become the Republican nominee to try to go up and defeat one of the most greatest political adversaries of all time, one of the strongest, most mentally articulate political leaders who won 2020 election, 2020 election Joe Biden. It's going to take a lot of mental fortitude to beat him, I, I can only imagine. Now, it looks like Elon Musk originally said this tweet, or his ex, which... That's not great marketing. What if you're so instead that's gonna bring up a lot of hilarious memories. I X'd a message. Wait, Bobby, you, you messaged your ex? You didn't like her. No, no, no. I went on the Twitter where it used to be Twitter, now it's X. But I digress on that marketing note for now. So yet Elon Musk send out a post on his platform and says he states his place clearly. And under that statement, he had a repost of Vivek Ramaswamy, Vivek saying truth, and he said, one, God is real, two, there are two genders. Three, humans, human flourishing requires fossil fuels. Four, reverse racism is racism. Five, an open border is no border. Six, parents determine the education of their children. Seven, the nuclear family is the greatest form of governance known to mankind. Eight, capitalism live, lifts people up from poverty. Nine, there are three branches of government, not four. Ten, the U.S. Constitution is the greatest guarantor of freedoms in history. Which... Yeah, that should have gotten more likes and views. That's brilliantly articulate. Unlike most politicians, where there's, I think the most the most cliche BS politician is, we need to get people back to work. Great, uh, Democrat, Republican. Will you tell me how you'll do that? Well, no, no, no. We, uh, uh, we, we don't have time for that today, folks. Now, this tweet by Elon, how many posts did he get? I got 
20 i got it looks like the video got 29.6 impressions so that doesn't mean you watched the whole video necessarily that means you saw it on your timeline you observed it and it looks like elon got 178,000 likes and most of the comments are praising it and he's slowly increasing his popularity vivek and it looks like when asked again for comment or you know through the twitter conversations elon's second response or second note specifically bringing up vivek was saying vivek is increasingly looking like a strong candidate unquote that got 283,000 views and 9,409 likes in the first five hours of posting which pretty damn impressive that's a 3.32 percent like ratio and it's fascinating to see from a cultural culturally speaking he seems to, be, seems to be gaining momentum, and Elon is perhaps, well, not perhaps, he is the most followed person on Twitter, also, well, now X. It'll be interesting to see, does this get people to like Vivek more as a candidate? Does it become a cultural phenomenon where he may, he branches both sides of the political aisle? I think I think more people see him more in the middle, especially well, compared to Trump. Well, it'll be interesting to see. Let me know, does this, does this change your opinion of Vivek having Elon give him this type of endorsement? Or no opinion, kind of just the same. Now, other interesting culture news, you have Oliver Anthony continuing to skyrocket in popularity and turning down record record deals, which perhaps isn't the best vernacular, but record record contracts? No, that still sounds awkward as all hell, but I digress. And this is ever since his song, Rich Men North of Richmond, has gone viral, igniting so many people. Now, of course, you have, you have morons. I mean, the mainstream media, they're claiming that he's far right and conservative and of course, he actually says multiple times he's, like many people, he feels politically alienated by both parties, as both parties usually don't do anything for us. Well, my three cents. It used to be two cents, but 40-year hyperinflation, gotta say it's my three cents today. It should be four, but I'm a generous man. Though, clicking that subscribe button, still free. And trying to get to 3,000 subscribers by the end of August. Greatly appreciate your help. Now, it looks like he actually went on his Facebook, and he further explained kind of his background and what his thoughts were. And it's one of those things where I don't think you can... See, it feels very authentic, which I think is why so many people are really attracted to his messaging. And this is a quote, and it's a little bit long, but let's see. He says, It's been difficult as I browse through the 50,000 messages and emails I received last week. These stories have been shared, paint a brutal, honest picture. Suicide, addiction, unemployment, anxiety, and depression and hopelessness. The list goes on. I'm sitting at such a weird place in my life right now. I never wanted to be a full-time musician, much less sit at the top of the iTunes charts. Driven from or Draven from Radio WV and I filmed these tombs on my land with the hope of getting it might hit 300,000 views. I don't quite believe what has gone on since we uploaded it. It just seems strange to me. So that, I had to stop right there. That's there's something touching about someone giving their whole heart and putting everything into a something and achieving something greater than what they planned. It's a very rare, beautiful thing, I think. He goes on to say, quote, people in the music industry have given me blank stares when I brush off $8 million offers. I don't want six tour buses, 15 tractor trailers, and a jet. I don't want to play stadium shows. I don't want to be in the spotlight. I, I wrote this music I wrote because I was suffering from mental health and depression. These songs have connected with millions of people on such a deep level because they're being sung by someone who feels the words in the very moment they are being sung. No editing, no agent, no bullshit, just some idiot and his guitar, the style of music that we should have never gotten away from in the first place. He goes on to say, 
So that being said, I have never taken the time to tell you who I really am. Here's a formal introduction. My name is Christopher Oliver Lensford. My grandfather was Oliver Anthony, and Oliver Anthony Music is a dedication not only to him, but 1930s Appalachia, where he was born and raised. Dirt floors, seven kids, hard times. At this point, I'll gladly go over, go by Oliver because everyone knows me as such. But my friends and family still call me Chris. You can decide yourself. That's fine. In 2012, oh, whoops. Sorry about that. In 2012, I dropped out of high school at age 17. I have a GED from Spruce Pine, North Carolina. I worked multiple plants in Western North Carolina, my last being a paper mill in McDowell County. I worked third shift six days a week for $14.50 an hour in living hell. In 2013, I had a bad fall at work and fractured my skull. It forced me to move back home to Virginia. Due to complications from the injury, it took me six months before I could work again. In 2014, just a, couple, a few days ago, I worked outside sales in an industrial manufacturing world. My job is taking me all over Virginia into the Carolinas, getting to know tens of thousands of other blue-collar workers on job sites and in factories. I spent all day, every day, for the past 10 years hearing the same story. People are so damn tired of being neglected, divided, and manipulated. In 2019, I paid $97,500 $97, for a property I'm still and I still owe about $60,000 on it. I'm living on a 27 camper, I guess that means 27 feet, with a tarp or on the roof, and I got off Craigslist for 750 bucks. There's nothing special about me. I'm not a good musician. I'm not a good, very good person. I spent the past five years struggling with mental health and, and using alcohol to drown it. I'm sad to see the world that in the state it's in and everyone fighting with each other. I have spent many nights feeling hopeless and the greatest country that the greatest country on earth is quickly fading away. That being said, I hate the way the internet has divided all of us. The internet is a parasite that infects the minds of humans and has gotten their way with them. Hours wasted, goals forgotten, loved ones sitting in a house with each other, distracted all day by technology made by the hands of made by the hands of other poor souls in sweatshops in foreign land. When is enough enough? When are we going to fight for what is right again? Millions have died protecting such liberties we have, protecting the liberties we have. Freedom of speech is such a precious gift. Never in world history has the world seen freedom it currently does. Don't let them take it away from you. Just like wandering in the desert, we have lost our way from God, and I let false hopes... Uh, oops. See more? Uh. Oh, yeah, sorry. Just like... Those once wandering in the desert, we have lost our way from God and have let false idols distract us and divide us. It's a damn shame. So talk about a heart-wrenching story, and perhaps one of the few authentic people in country music, as so many industries have blended together, just give us the same copy-paste BS, where they really haven't had many struggles in life. And to have someone actually is authentic in music, pretty damn rare, which I think we would one of the reasons you're seeing such a positive attraction to this. So it'll be interesting to see. I, I wish him the best. Hope I maybe he'll lean in more to the music career and be independent. It'll be interesting to see where he goes. But in terms of popularity and culturally speaking, it's fascinating to see so many people get to behind him and have this music bring us together in a time where, unfortunately, there are all too often things that drive us apart. It'll be interesting to see, but perhaps I'm a little bit more optimistic than I was a couple minutes ago. Now, other interesting cultural news, and actually kind of the antithesis of what we just talked about, a mob steals about $100,000 from a Nordstrom in, where do you think? Los Angeles, California. Of course. 
because of course they did. Now, it looks like California police say that more than 30 people stole those items, and other articles are saying the items are worth in excess of $300,000, which I guess, you know, with all these retail stores, what is it worth? When, oh yeah, $30, but they mark it down to $5. Moderately joking, but not really. It looks like the group of people entered Nordstrom at the Westfield Tapahanga Shopping Center in Los Angeles around 4 p.m., stealing high-end handbags, clothing, and other re easily resellable items. This according to the Los Angeles Police Department in a statement. Wait. I had to do a double take. Apparently, they do still have police there. I, I didn't think they did. It's also hilarious when you see the same cliche, people just want to steal bread to make ends meet. I've yet to see anyone steal bread. In the past, not only because carbs are, well, carbs are disgusting, you don't really need them anyway, but have you ever seen anyone actually steal bread with all these videos going viral of people robbing stores left and right? People aren't breaking into Walmart. That, perhaps the safest thing they actually sell these days are books, because I've yet to see someone steal a book, work boots, or bread from a Walmart or any of these stores that are getting ransacked by mobs. Now, it looks like the criminals, they went in there and actually used bear mace and they, they're all wearing black um, mask and clothing and just broke in, sprayed it, and got out. I, and again, culturally speaking, they're getting exactly what they voted for. They, they didn't decriminalize it technically, but they removed the threshold for stealing merchandise up to $950 so that it's a much, instead of being a felony, I believe now it's a misdemeanor, and you have the district attorneys, which they just don't prosecute. So... Yeah, there's no incentive not to steal in those areas. So you shouldn't be surprised. And you have Los Angeles mayor, which saying that criminals must be held accountable, which again, it's your mail, your, your, your mayor, your city. You're not prosecuting these things. You're going to get more of the bad behavior. It's the reason why people are leaving San Francisco and Los Angeles in droves to other states. They actually believe in rule of order, law, you know, being good. Some things never go out of style. So it'll be interesting, culturally speaking, how bad will it become before it gets better? Will it ever? There was a time, wind back the clock, Detroit used to be the richest, most prosperous city in the world. I know that sounds crazy to think of nowadays, but there's a time, thanks partially because of the big three, you had General Motors, Ford, and Chrysler having some of the best profit margins, some of the best vehicles. The communities were great, safe, and then they had a cultural shift. And for a myriad of reasons, the city went to hell has never gone, never gone back. You get, the joke is you can buy a house in Detroit for a dollar. Because you technically can. The city is so desperate just for people to pay taxes and move there. They have houses for a dollar. That's how desperate they are. And they've never come back. Let me know in the comments. Do you think San Francisco, Los Angeles, will they become the next Detroit? Unless they turn the culture around dramatically in the next 12, 24 months. I, I can't help but think they will. But, you know, as I always say, time shall tell. Now, going over to the political part of the podcast, you have the United States planning to put tariffs on food can metal from China, or as some might say, China, or no, China, a little bit better, and Germany. Now, it looks like a possible 300% tax on the materials as the U.S. is accusing the other countries of dumping materials. So... You thought inflation and food, you thought your grocery store prices were bad. Now, imagine if there's a 300% tax on the components to make the food. In this case, this is metal specifically used for making canned goods. 
and a lot of people buy canned goods, kind of a big deal, big category. So that's going to be hurting people's grocery bills even more. Now, the U.S. is accusing these other countries of dumping products here. Now, that is a nuanced term. You only hear that a lot in economics unless you turn in religiously. So dumping, by definition, is a situation of international price discrimination where the price of the product when sold to the importing country is less than the price of the product sold in the market of the exporting country. Which you could also make the argument of, you know, do we really have a free economy or is it really fair across all all playing fields? Is it really capital? Like, there's a lot of nuance that go into it. But it's funny to see this where you had, I think some Democrats are giving Trump crap for putting a 25% tax on steel and aluminum to offset the countries that were doing the same thing during his presidential um, duration. But you're not seeing a lot of people pushing back against this idea. But again, it's going to increase the price of food. This is basically a way of artificially increasing the prices of the foreign materials, so in this case, the raw materials to make cans, so that you'll incentivize manufacturers here to buy the raw materials from United States-based companies to make the soup cans and crap here. So it'd be interesting to see how, which way suppliers and manufacturers choose, but putting a 300% tax on something, that's it's certainly going to have some effect. Well, it hopefully it doesn't hurt the consumer, but it'll be interesting to see. Time shall tell. Other political news, you have Oakland. They want citizens to use air horns to fight armed robbers. Oh, California. The hubris beyond all belief. Now, this is from the land of no guns. There are more gun laws in California than pretty much any state. It rivals the city of Chicago. Again, a perfect example of gun control not working. Because for some crazy reason, when you disarm citizens... The bad guys are, for some weird reason, they're just empowered. Who would have guessed? Well, anyone with a soul who doesn't want to you know, disarm law-abiding citizens and maybe also people who have more than a modicum of intelligence. But a lot of these are politicians, so yeah, remember, they usually lack lack both of those things. Now, it looks like violent crime in Oakland is up 14% compared to the same time period last year. And that violent crime, their definition of that specific category is a category encompassing Violent crime being comprised of homicide, aggravated assault, robbery, and then if you have kids, cover your ears, but um, rape, which I'm one of those people where the best equalizer is a gun. Give a gun to a 90-pound woman, she can defend herself against a 300-pound man. So I'm a big proponent of arming everyone, all live-biting citizens. They have, they have that God-given right. You should, it should be... There should be nothing more disgusting in someone's mind than taking away that woman's ability to defend herself or a man's ability to defend himself and his family. Now, looks like they actually have a little bit of a clip here. Let's see. Of course, YouTube wants us to have 12 to 13 advertisements. Oh, not that many, but it's getting there. So this is actually from a Fox News outlet over there. Let's see here. This is Oakland crime is so rampant out there that authorities are now encouraging residents to listen to this, carry air horns, air horns to deter criminals. After living here her entire life. I can't take it anymore. I got to the point I was too scared to leave my house. Cook blames brazen assaults and robberies in broad daylight, break-ins and home invasions across the city. Now, now thank God she could afford to do that. 
if you have if you have more than two paints to rub together, I would suggest get the hell out and go somewhere where they actually give you your right to defend yourself. And they actually give more rights to law-abiding citizens, not criminals and other morally vacuous people. Now, thankfully, it looks like she's in a position where she can afford to move, but not everyone can do that. It's a difficult thing sometimes. And that's why I'm always telling people the laws there still matter, even though we not might be there physically. Because it still affects American citizens. As Oakland sees a surge in reported violent crimes this year compared to last. Again, again, people in uh, black hoodies and black masks going to the store. It looks like they're stealing shoes, as not work boots, mind you, and purses. No one is a, again, I've yet to see a viral clip of someone going in to steal bread. Again, carbs are disgusting, so not my cup of tea, or in this case, loaf of bread, but still. Robberies, burglaries, and rape are... So burglaries, specifically robberies, are up 22% for the time period of July 2023 compared to July 2022. Burglary is up 41% compared this July to last July. Because again, they don't prosecute criminals over there. Of course it's going to go up exponentially. And again, even more morally vacuous and disgusting, cover ears if you have kids listening, rape is up 10%. Which, yeah, every, every law-abiding woman should have a gun. That would that'd be a great way to permanently stop the most evil, morally vacuous people in the world. The rapists. But there are states that actually give more rights to the bad guys and the good guys. Disgustingly enough. We're all up by double-digit percentages. Everyone we talk to says it doesn't matter your race, your income. Everyone seems to be a target, including carjackings. They're carjacking people at stop signs. Oakland so police recommended steel braces for residential doors and I mean, I air horns. The idea is if you set it off, you're... The police are so nice over there. Instead of giving you good advice, like, go out and start, buy yourself a gun... No, the police over there, they're saying, um, oh yeah, just give yourself a horn, Sally. A horn? Neighbor would hear it, set theirs off, and more people are alert that there's danger. That's ridiculous. And that clip, thanks to uh, Coleon Noir, who's a great Second Amendment advocate, and I was going to say, perhaps double redundancy, he's also an awesome Texan. Maybe would say the two are one. But it is so disgusting. And again, California is one of those places where even if the rare occasion where you could buy a gun, they have a waiting period that is so long and prohibitive, it's basically useless. And again, does nothing statistically, in addition to being, in addition to being morally vacuous and unconstitutional, those things do nothing to stop crime. Chicago, I believe, still has a 72, or I believe Illinois in general, has a 72-hour waiting period if you want to buy a handgun. Has it changed the crime statistics in Chicago? Has it? No. Uh, and then the most mentally vacuous argument for the shitty of Chicago, they say, oh yeah, well, it's just it's too easy to get guns in other states and they bring them to Chicago. Well, if that's true, why don't those other states have the same crime rates as Chicago? They don't. They're significantly less. Because it's not a gun issue. It is a culture issue. It's a political issue where the politicians are encouraging this behavior. Not only by not prosecuting them, by by disgustingly disarming American citizens. It's ridiculous. So I highly implore everyone, if you live in Oakland, write your politicians, write those bureaucrats, and more importantly, vote them out. You need to show them, I'm going to vote third party. I'm going to vote for the other, I'm going to vote independent. I'm going to vote for the other party. Vote, not just with your wallet, by buying a house, maybe in a better state, but if you're stuck there, let's say you got, you, 
which I actually don't believe in terms of anyone can anyone can move with the right encouragement and resources. You can make it happen. One of my favorite books is uh, John Papa John. His great his grandfather, I believe, came over to the United States with nothing. I mean, my family came from Cuba, but they had nothing. And before you say in the comments, no, we actually took a plane. One of the last planes out before Fidel took over. My mom, my, my parents had nothing. But they still risked everything because they knew the United States was better. And thank God they did that because, of course, Cuba's gone to hell ever since. They've disarmed Americans. It's just a communism hellhole. No rights. And I highly implore everyone, get out the vote. Vote appropriately. Vote those candidates out. Peacefully let them know your intentions that you will not accept being disarmed. You will not accept being bullied anymore. You're going you're gonna to vote for someone else. You're going to go on social media and say, hey, this is a better candidate. Here's why. They're actually going to prosecute crime. This district attorney, this one is going to actually do something. And hopefully, we can turn these things around together. Hopefully. Now, other interesting political news. You have Uber and Lyft may leave Minneapolis, Minnesota if a law passes. Yet again, highlighting the importance of business, culture, and politics all being interconnected. This especially as a law might be detrimental to their business. Now, specifically, you have the Minneapolis City Council voting 7-5 to five to approve an ordinance for minimum wage and mileage for drivers. And now it goes to Minneapolis Mayor Jacob Frey, where, spoiler alert, he's a Democrat, very blue state. And most likely he's going to say, yes, let's greatly increase the cost of goods sold. That will not only help the consumer, and that's sarcasm, folks, that's a thick layer because it's going to be the antithesis. It'll hurt the consumer because it'll increase prices exponentially. It'll also hurt these companies because, again, a lot of them can't afford it. Those companies, depending on what, you know, what profit statements you're looking at, they can't afford the whole idea of Uber and Lyft is to have 1099 contract employees. They work when they want, how they want. That's a great part of being a contractor. You have that freedom to choose how you get the job done. Once you become an employee, you have to clock in hours. You can't just make money on the side. It can't just be a side hustle. So a lot of these workers don't want that. I know not everyone has the same feeling, but you can't just ignore one side. Now, it looks like if approved, and again, it looks like this week it's being sent to the mayor, most likely they'll sign it. If approved, the policy would guarantee ride shares get at least 51 cents per mile, and, or sorry, 51 cents per minute, and a dollar 40 per mile, a dollar 81 per mile for drivers with wheelchair accessible vehicles, and it would guarantee drivers get 80% of canceled ride uh, fees, as well as other protections against deactivation. So again, we're going to do a little improv today, pulling out the good old calculator here. So you get 51 cents per minute. All right, 0.51. Let's see. So that means, what are they making per hour? 36, wait, wait, wait. 51 cents per minute. There's 60 minutes an hour. $30.60 per hour? I wish. That'd be, that's a, that is a huge amount of money for many people, even with 40-year hyperinflation. How much is it going to cost to take a ride down the street? That's insane. $30.60 per hour. Now, I do agree with the ride cancellation fee. It's pretty BS to actually call a ride, have the ride get close to you, and then cancel it. That's, that's, pretty, that's a pretty pathetic thing. 
culturally speaking, we should be frowning upon that action. It's the same lazy moral vacuousness that, means pe that leads people to not return carts to the cart section of the grocery store, which is perhaps the greatest sign of someone who doesn't have their shit together or doesn't have a modicum of responsibility or intellect because they're lazy and their whole life is going to hell. I'm, a, I'm actually the opposite. I'll put carts back. Not to, bra no, not to brag or anything, but I put, my part, I put my cart back. What say you? I would hope you do. Now, if vetoed by Frey, let's say, there's a, let's say, there's a, let's say he hits his head and he, he actually thinks about capitalism or he thinks about the free market for a minute. Let's say that happens. If vetoed by him, the council would be, need nine votes to override the veto. Otherwise, the measure would be dead and would have to start over for a future time. So one of those things where that would be very hard to override because right now the vote came down to seven to five. So it'll be interesting to see, but unfortunately, I'm right now, it looks like the law passed this week. And again, it's a very fluid situation. Maybe something will come up. Maybe they'll vote differently. Maybe he'll hit his head and think about capitalism and the free market. But right now, a lot of good, good hardworking people, they're going to be out of jobs. Because right now, it looks like these the rideshare companies are going to leave. Because it's going to exponentially increase their cost. And right now, you have all these companies trying to gather as much cash as possible because they have no idea what's going to happen in terms of the future, in terms of politics and business future. Everyone, left, right, and center, many businesses are scared. Whoever gets in the office, Democrat, Republican, the uncertainty is what kills deals. It's what kills businesses from expanding and making more investments. A lot of businesses right now are just gathering cash because depending on who gets in the office or who gets reelected, some industries are gonna be completely eviscerated. They're gonna have more rules, more regulations, more increased cost of labor. All, all those mechanisms, all those things cost money. So we're interested to see, but right now, I don't think those companies are gonna stay there. I don't think they fiscally can. And maybe the citizens, maybe they'll, they'll protest this or get this on a ballot to vote it down. But right now, in terms of those companies, I would say, well, I would say their uh, their outlook is mm, mm, not so good at all. Now, well, now, other fascinating political news: you have Hillary Clinton continuing to deny the 2016 election. Now, will she be investigated and put into court multiple times like Donald Trump? No, of course not, because she's above the law. Keep in mind, she this is also the person who, what is she? She literally ordered her employees to take physical hammers and break phones so that you could not get the evidence off the phones. Granted, that's also not usually how forensics work, but she thought it would, and they broke the hammers to the phones. Now, the Snoops would say, she didn't do that. No, she didn't. She ordered her staff to do that. And she also used software to completely wipe her on-prem server. Keep in mind, no one really needs... No one has a server on site. That'd be like having the box. That'd be, it's so outlandish to think that she had a on-prem server and she deleted 30,000 emails just like that with, with the software. And of course she got away with it. Also improperly handled documents. And I can't help but notice only one side of the political aisle is being held accountable. So let's see, um, this is her bragging again and complaining. Let's, let's, uh, I was going to say, I apologize because I know her voice is, eh, but thank God you don't have to see her. That's a, another thing in and of itself. He certainly uh, interfered in our election. 
And it was clear he interfered to hurt me and to help my opponent. Unprecedented interference. I was on the way to winning. We know uh, that uh, Putin was intent upon helping Trump. That's no longer subject to debate. The interference with the election. Virginia just stopped using touchscreen computer voting because it's so vulnerable. Right. You can run the best campaign. You can even become the nominee. And you can have the election stolen from you. It was stolen from Bernie, but that's because the DNC literally rigged it against Bernie Sanders. And because he has no spine, he completely, he immediately bowed down to the DNC and continued his servitude to them. But they actually legitimately stole the nominee from him years back. So I would say they're not the most morally high, they're pretty morally vacuous in my opinion. He knows uh, that uh, he's an illegitimate president. So why isn't she putting it, why isn't she going to jail? Why isn't she being prosecuted? Half the losses against Trump are because they claim he's an election denier. She has about the same amount of evidence, well I would say, I would argue she has less, but we're, she's making all these claims and she's not producing evidence. She seems to be using the same bombastic accent that other politicians use. And yet, she's not in any trouble. She's not getting deplatformed off all the different social media sites. Very similar to Stacey Abrams from Georgia, who to this day says she was a proper elected I believe, governor. And Stacey Abrams, quite the opposite. She wasn't socially ostracized, prosecuted by the federal by the government. She, has a, she actually got a special cameo on some stupid Star Trek or Star Wars thing. Or is it Lord of the Rings? Something on Amazon or something on the social media streaming platforms. But it's fascinating to see more and more we have the double standard in the United States. And unfortunately, it used to be a place where all men were created equal and people were prosecuted equally. Left, right, center, they didn't care. You broke the law, you're prosecuted appropriately. But let me, let me you know in the comments, do you think people are being prosecuted based on their pol political affiliations? Do you think it's fair right now? I certainly don't, but that's just my three cents. It used to be two cents, but hyperinflation. Other interesting political news, you have an IRS agent accidentally shooting and killing another IRS agent as they continue to gear up and have more weapons than most countries. Now, this is an IRS agent in Arizona. They accidentally shot and killed another IRS agent on the gun range last Thursday. Now, they know that this was during occurred during the Federal Bureau of Prisons gun range and where there's a trading exercise underway. And an Arizona family reported the agent was shot during the exercise and transported they subsequently passed. The so it looks like Charlotte M. Denise was an IRS criminal investigation with the IRS criminal investigation of Phoenix. And it looks like she passed. And it's fascinating to see. Again, these are supposed to be pencil pushers. They're supposed to just be stealing, I mean uh, taking your tax dollars. Now keep in mind, before World War II, there was no federal tax, no federal income tax. And then, of course, during World War II, they said, hey, we're we're just going to we're going to introduce this. We're going to promise just, just help out. If you feel patriotic, you, you know, chip in. And then they changed their mind again. They said, oh, well, we're temporary just for the war. And then, of course, they never they never stopped taking our money. So depending on where you live, you're taking the government. The federal government takes 40 percent. The state takes 10 percent. Sales tax takes probably another 10 percent, depending on where you live. How much of that dollar is really yours? But I partially digress. The IRS, they are literally gunning for you with the new hires. So it looks like since 2020, how much gear have they bought? Well, they've gotten $2.3 million of ammunition, 
$1.2 million on ballistic shields. Another $1.3 million on, quote, various other gear for criminal investigation agents. Unquote. Great transparent description. Imagine if you or I tried that in our tax deductions. We just had a lie item that just said various. We'd be sent to prison or at least fined for that type of cloudy description. Now, they spent $474,000 on Smith & Wesson rifles. 460, what? $467,000 on tactical lighting. Dear God. Jeez, I know... I know fiscal responsibility and the U.S. government, left, right, center, is basically foreign concepts like oil and water, but spending half a million dollars, basically, on tactical lights? Come on. Uh, just go to the dollar store and buy, buy faster for a dollar. Again, it's the IRS. You're not the Marines. Although, some articles are saying they actually have more gear than subdivisions of the United States Marines. But again, their job is to kill bad guys. Yet, the IRS... so. Extra incentive do not mess up on your taxes because they will gun you down. Now, it looks like they also spent $463,000 on Breda 1301 tactical shotguns. Now, I am ashamed to say in terms of my knowledge of my repertoire, Breda is probably the brand I know the least about. From a business perspective, I do have great admiration because they're still family owned and they're the oldest firearm manufacturer on the planet. They're yeah, I should say, in history. They're still around, obviously. Their first product being cannons. So there's a lot of great historical provenance behind the brand bread. And of course, they've won some military contracts throughout the years. They make a great product. Now, I'm looking online. And again, this is just the first one or two brave results because Google. Uh, and it looks like this is Cabela's. They say the Breda 130 tactical, uh, like, looks like this one has the pistol grip, semi-auto shotgun, is $1,650. Before the, you know, I guess in Texas we have 8.25% sales tax on top of it, which is dis I find that morally disgusting and vacuous. You know, tax are right. There shouldn't be any taxes on firearms, but I digress, partially. So it looks like Cabela's is about, let's round up, instead of $1,660, it's $1,700. So the IRS, and they're supposed to be getting bulk deals, so they spent 400, oh, come on, computer here, 463000 about half a million dollars in shotguns, and they bought. Oh, they don't even tell you how much they bought. Great transparency, government. We spent this amount of money. Do you get 10 of those? 20 of those? Let's say, and again, it's the government. They probably got a bulk deal. There's also discounts available for government agencies because it's good for the business. It's a good advertising mechanism for firearms companies. I know a really cool advertising with Daniel Defense, a great AR 15 manufacturer headquartered in uh, Savannah, Georgia. They got a contract to guard, I believe, a nuclear facility. So that's pretty cool. They probably gave them some discounts just to say, our guns guard against nuclear power. Or, you know, they, we guard nuclear plants. Something cool like that. Now, okay, that's 463. So let's say, let's say they got a discount at $1,600. So 1,600 out of that. That's about 290, 290 shotguns. Damn. Wait, $364,000 on tactical gear bags. bags? $454,000 on bags? Really? If it's up to me, maybe be using Walmart shopping bags, which you get for free at the checkout. Because again, it's the IRS, not the Marine Corps. Jesus. They also spent $267,000 on ballistic helmets. And 
$243,000 on body armor for the IRS. Now, they continue to say they also purchased 3,000 units of optics-compatible tactical holsters for weapons with optics, sights, and weapon lighting systems. Of course, you have to have a fancy, expensive holster to buy that fancy little fit, that light that you spent. Again, they spent $467,000 on tactical lights for the IRS. Let me know in the comments, do you think, is there any legitimate reason the IRS should have any firepower like that? At all? I can't help but think, why are they gunning for us? Well, not just for tax dollars, but they literally have gathered more arms in some countries or three or two Texas citizens. Pun moderately intended. But it is interesting to see they continue to build it up. I can't help but fear what might be around the corner. And yet another reason, a good example, for the love of God, get a really good accountant. And I always tell people, get two accountants. Like, you never get in trouble for overpaying on your taxes. The, the downside is when they give you a refund, they don't pay interest on the money you gave them. Now, flip the table. If you underpay on your taxes, it could be deadly. If you cheat on your taxes, it could be deadly. And also, they're going to fine you, and you do have to pay interest on, not only do you have to pay them the money that you owe them throughout the year, they actually charge you interest on the money you owe them. So I always tell people, especially if you own a small business or if you just do your own taxes, get a very good accountant, look over the books, make sure everything is properly categorized correctly, and hopefully nothing bad will happen to you. Time shall tell. Now, going on to the business blunder of the day. We've got a two-for-one, interestingly enough. The first one, we have dehumidifiers. They're in a recall for, well, they, uh, they work too well. They, they, they start fires. And they've got a recall of 1.5 million dehumidifiers. Now, it looks like the dehumidifiers were manufactured by Chinese-based GRI, GRI Electronic application, Appliances. They recalled last Wednesday after reports of at least 26 fires and 688 incidents of overheating, one resulting in $168,000 in property damage, damage, according to the CSPC. Now, the crazy thing enough about certain manufacturing industries and products, this actually consists of 42 models that are manufactured, um, like, if, you're only, if you're only listening, my fingers almost cramped with the quotation marks there. They make 42 models for their, these brands known as GE, General Electric, Kenmore, Norpel, Seabreeze, and Solus Air. They're manufactured between January 2011 and February 2014. Now, you see this white labeling with certain products in particular, dehumidifiers and microwaves, kind of notorious, where they say it's, you know, they say, oh, yes, it's a GE dehumidifier or a Kenmore de dehumidifier or a Seabreeze or whatever, or Solus Air. It's all the same factory in Asia. They just use different face plates and different plastics on the outside. Sometimes they barely even hide it in and of itself, but it's the same company. You're just paying more for aesthetics, basically, and the name, which I know there's power to a brand, but I couldn't help but notice this phenomenon with microwaves as well. A couple years back when one of them broke, I started to look at them and I couldn't help but notice they did have different face plates in terms of the plastics that are thrown out there, but the button layout was the same for like six different manufacturers. And I went down the rabbit hole and actually watched a whole YouTube documentary which is the fascinating thing about YouTube. They have documentaries on microwaves, who would have thought? But it's one of those OEM things where they make them for damn near everyone, but it's the same factory in Asia. 
So when you have a recall, it's not just one brand, it's all these brands. But to have a recall of 1.5 million units because they work so well, they start buyers. I mean, they certainly do what they say. They are de quite, they're quite well, perhaps too well, dehumidifying the room. But yeah, to have uh, two fires, that is certainly a business blunder. Though we have another. The, the second business blunder of the day. You have Trader Joe's has yet another recall. This time for crackers with metal. Now, I do not mean pejoratively white people are running around with playing metal music or carrying pieces of scrap metal. No, no, no. I'm, I'm much more sensitive than that. I say crackers in terms of the food. So I think this is, makes the sixth recall for Trader Joe's this year, which again is supposed to be a premium fancy grocery store of luxuries. Not It's not necessities. You need necessities, go to Walmart. You go to a cheap mom and pop shop. You don't go to Trader Joe's. And as a kid, it was a special occasion if you had a relative flying in or coming to visit. We'd go to Trader Joe's and it was a special occasion. They, they used to have a, like a little juice thing for kids. And obviously everything's more expensive. They do have some nice quality stuff, but it's a luxury, not a necessity. So I'm trying to stress here. Words that are all too lost, unfortunately, on many Americans these days. Now, it looks like earlier this month reported they had recalls, three recalls in one week. So earlier this month, they had recalls on cookies because there are rocks in them, which in their defense, they might like because it's organic. Now, they also had bugs in the soup, which again is organic and many people will argue that there are many uh, organizations that want us to eat the bugs, but I will not acquiesce. I will enjoy a steak or perhaps a salmon on occasion. Now, they also had their falafels. They had rocks with them as well. I don't know, if, are they making food in a quarry? Now, granted, I know these are a lot of third parties that are making the materials for them or the foods for them, but have some quality control. You don't have to go crazy, but have some to at least detect there's not rocks in it. Now, this specific one, it looks like this is a recall for multi-grain crackers with sunflower and flax seeds and because there's a possible metal contamination. Now, specifically, if you are one of those millionaires who shops at Trader Joe's and you have one in your cupboard, it looks like the ones that are affected are the best used by dates with be having by March 1st, 2024 and March 5th, 2024. Now in a statement, traders did say, <laughs> um, I, was, I can't do this straight face. It's so ridiculous. They say, no injuries have been reported to this date and, and all the potentially affected products have been removed from the aisle and destroyed, unquote. How much money are they losing? Not just because not just their brand is being dragged through the mud, or in this case, perhaps the rock quarry, but how much money are they losing by throwing these products away? I know you can't sell them, but just spend a little bit more money on pre-sales in terms of quality control before you put it on the shelf. Not only will they preserve their brand is what's supposed to be a fancy, expensive grocery store, but now is almost becoming a joke where, where the odds you're going to have rocks in your food or metal in your food. It's ridiculous for a premium to brand to have so many quality control issues when your whole thing is a quality, great experience and a great premium product. But I'd be interested to see, does it, there are so many recalls. Do you still respect Trader Joe's? Let me know in the comments. Is that, do you still view them in, as in a favorable light? It'll be interesting to see, but Tim, again, another recall with Trader Joe's, that, that's gotta be the business owner of the day. Thank you everyone for taking the time to tune in. Also, I want you to get to 3,000 subscribers by the end of August. So if you click that button, I would greatly appreciate it. Also, don't forget to take the time to like and the comment. The feedback is always greatly appreciated. It helps us make the show better and better. Also helps with the algorithm so it gets shown to more and more people. 
Also, don't forget to tell your family, tell your friends, tell your co-workers, heck, tell your enemies, tell anyone and everyone. Just stay safe and fight the good fight.